Hello, Hills family, and hello, Hills online family. One of the things that have come out of the pandemic is an awareness that there's just one church and the body of Christ globally is connected. Each week I get to hear from you, people in different states and in different countries who've been a part of the online community during this pandemic. And it's been such a blessing. I want to thank you for joining us. And I want to thank all of you that gave to Renew. Uh, it's by midweek, over $575,000 has already been given, and that number is just growing daily. So thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity. If you haven't made your Renew offering yet, please do. It honors God when we love our neighbors well. I also hope you heard or watched the video that I sent last week about our re-entry plan. We're in Intending to have live worship at every campus beginning July the 12th. Now, I think our team has done a great job providing online worship and other content during this pandemic. But let's be honest. All of us want this to be over sooner than later. All of us have lived with a sense of being displaced. And we don't like that feeling, do we? There's something deep within all of us that wants to have a place. I bet you sit at the same place at your dinner table almost every day. That when you go to work, you often park in basically the same place. I can tell often who's at church just by looking to a place in the building because you tend to sit in the same place. Uh, when I was growing up, my father had a recliner right in front of the TV. It was the best place to watch TV. And if I ever got in that chair, he would come by and say, get out of my chair. But, Dad, I was here first, but that chair is my place. But I was here first. When you have your own home, you can have your own place. Well, guess what? One day I got my own home. And the first time my dad came to visit, I couldn't wait. Now, I didn't have a recliner, but I had a spot on the couch right in front of the TV, and my dad sat there. So I just walked up and said, Dad, that's my place. And he said, go to your room. And I did. So, and that didn't work too well. But my point is, we like to have a place. And as followers of Jesus, we long for our place, the new earth that will come when Jesus returns. But that means that right now, we have to live as a displaced people. The Bible talks about this in Hebrews chapter 11. We have this long list of heroes of faith, and here's how the writer sums up their journey. He said, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. Now, he calls them nomads. Now, let's be clear. They were pilgrims. They weren't drifters. There's a huge difference because they weren't people that didn't have a place. They were people that weren't at their place yet, just like us. Uh, Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. You see, at one time we were exiles 
from God. But because of Jesus and his death on the cross and the access that he has afforded us, we are now exiles for God. God has called us out of the world so that he can send us back into the world so that we can reach the world for Jesus. His plan is to reach the nations through a community of exiles whose allegiance to Jesus is greater than their allegiance to any nation. You see, what I'm saying is that at some degree, we have to maintain dual citizenship. Uh, We're all citizens of a nation, and we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Some of you may actually have dual citizenship, and yet there's a nation where you live most of the time. There's a nation that has your allegiance. And so in the same way, we must maintain our dual citizenship, but we must remember our foremost allegiance belongs to God and to the kingdom of heaven. And so we live, in a sense, as pilgrims, as displaced People. No one talks about this more than the Apostle Peter. In his first epistle, he writes to a bunch of people in different nations who always lived their lives in that nation, and yet he consistently refers to them as pilgrims or foreigners. He starts the letter by saying, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. Now, they've never left their country, but he's saying, you're dual citizens, aren't you? And later in the same chapter, live in reverent fear during your time here as temporary residents. And it's really clear in chapter 2. Look at it with me. Dear friends, you are like foreigners and strangers in this world. I beg you to avoid the evil things your bodies want to do that fight against your soul. People who do not believe are living all around you and might say that you're doing wrong. Live such good lives that they will see the good things you do and will give glory to God on the day when Christ comes again. I said earlier in this series that every time the scripture talks about Jesus returning, every time it talks about heaven, it follows with a call to holiness, abstain from sin, and to goodness, be great examples in the world. You see, what we hope for is what we should live for. If we truly believe that home is coming, then there and then should impact here and now. And so what I want to do as I close this series is I want to talk about how we live as we wait for home to come. How we exist as displaced people in this place. Some of you know that in college, I lived for a time with uh, Max Licato, uh, who was not a well-known Christian author when we were roommates. Uh, a year after I graduated, I got a letter from Max. You see, uh, we had two other roommates, Steve and Tim. And Tim had died a year after we graduated in a car wreck. Now, we all know that people we go to college with are going to die someday, but you don't think it's going to happen when you're 22. And so Max and I, we attended the funeral together. And a month later, I get this letter. That's what we used to do back then is write letters. And he wasn't a famous author back then. He had never published a book. But he closed that letter with one single phrase that has meant more to me than anything he ever has written. He just said, Rick, 
keep your eyes on heaven. And what he was saying was more than just grieve well. What he was saying is as young men, as we're entering a lifelong discipleship to Jesus and the life of ministry, we have to remember where our allegiance lies. We have to remember where our true citizenship is. We have to live in holiness and in goodness while we wait for our place. We know home is coming, but how do we live until then? How do we live so that we don't get nationalized in the place that isn't our true place? Well, again, no one talks about this more than the Apostle Peter. So in the same epistle in chapter 4, let's look at what he says. The time is near when all things will end. Now, real quick, that's how we should think every day. We should live every day knowing the time is near. All things will end. This current world is not our home. So how does that impact how we live? He says, so think clearly and control yourselves so you'll be able to pray. Most importantly, love each other deeply because love will cause people to forgive each other for many sins. Open your homes to each other without complaining. Each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. So while we wait for home, how do we live in this place? And Peter's given us some great advice. And here's what I want to do in the rest of this teaching. As you know, our nation is right now in a time of great civil unrest. And it's a time for the church to rise up and be a light. And so what I want to do is show you how what we believe about the future, how we live when we keep our eyes on heaven affects the way we handle everything going on around us, including the quest for racial harmony. Uh, let me uh, unpack that more. Now, Peter said, there are three things I want you to do while you wait for home to come. Number one, I want you to stay prayerful. He said, think clearly and control yourselves so you'll be able to pray. Isn't that amazing? He understands we can get so worked up and so angry and so frustrated, we can't even pray well. So stake in control and think clearly because prayer is the alien's native language. In prayer, we ask for the values of the kingdom to which we belong to invade the nations where we reside now Jesus taught us this when Jesus taught us to pray perhaps the most important the hinge statement of all the things we learn from Jesus about prayer is this in Matthew 6 10 may your kingdom come and what you want be done here on earth as it is in heaven and so one of our most important assignments from Jesus is to pray a whole lot of up there, down here, prayers. Now, what do you think it's like up there when it comes to racial harmony? Has God been unclear about this? In the beginning of the Bible, He starts the redemption plan by saying to Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations, literally all the ethnic groups. Jesus said, go to all the ethnicities. And the day of Pentecost, all the nations are present. And then you get the revelation of John, and we see up there. And what does he see? 
around the throne worshiping Jesus is every tribe and every tongue and every ethnicity. Now, what we need to be doing is praying, God, we want a whole lot up there to be down here. And so, a week ago, my wife and the Stones and the Gomez's, uh, along with me, went to a prayer rally in Fort Worth, uh, organized by many different churches. And we just prayed over our city. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. But, and yet, there are many people today, whenever there is a tragedy in our nation, who says, I'm tired of praying about it. Let's do something about it. I, I understand that frustration. But as followers of Jesus, we understand that when we are praying, we are doing something about it. And here's why. There is a dimension to this battle that has to be waged in the heavenlies. So much of the darkness in our land today is because of principalities and powers. Now, I'm all for anything we can do to improve our society through education or through legislation. But I'm going to tell you, Satan has never said one time, I can't sow hate anymore because they passed a law. The only thing that will displace the enemy is a move of the Spirit of God. And that is why the people of God must start right here and we must stay prayerful. As we wait for home to come, we ask God, we need a whole lot of up there to start coming down here. And we turn our hearts to God. And when you turn your heart to God, inevitably your heart will turn toward other people. And so the next thing that Peter says we need to do while we wait is we need to remain graceful. He said, most importantly, love each other deeply because love will cause people to forgive each other. You see, what the enemy wants us to do is to pick sides and to start fighting and to care more about hating than we do about healing. And so uh, last year, a director named Sam Mendes uh, put out a movie called 1917. Uh, it was an amazing cinemagraphic uh, exposure to World War I. And here was the plot. This young uh, British soldier is given the assignment to go across enemy lines and, and to find a battalion about to enter into a conflict and tell them to stand down, that it was a trap, and that if they engaged the enemy, they would be slaughtered. So he's got his orders. He's about to leave. And when he's about to leave, an officer walks up to him and he says to him, when you go and you meet the commanders and you give them these instructions, be sure there are witnesses present. And, and the young soldier says, but sir, these are direct orders. And the reply is, yes, but some men just love the fight. Isn't that the truth? We have a commander who has shown us how we're supposed to meet evil by going to a cross, by laying down his life. But some people just love the fight. And so, 
As followers of Jesus, we decide that we're going to overcome the wrongs of others with love instead of hate. He says love each other deeply. That word deeply, it was actually a word that came out of race language. It was used of runners. It was used of horses that were stretched to the finish line. And what Jesus wants us to model right now as His church is stretch love. The kind of love that goes the second mile to build bridges instead of walls. And this kind of grace is going to require proximity. You can't practice this kind of grace while you stay away from the people that we need to love. And so last Sunday, a whole lot of people from our church participated in a march in Keller, Texas, where I live. My wife and I went, and and we met with some other people of our church, and we were about to go to the march. And so I took this picture, and as I was taking it, this beautiful African-American woman named Patricia ran up and said, Can I be in the picture? And so I said, Of course. And so we put her in the picture. She goes to Gateway Church, and we had a wonderful time getting to know her. And that's what grace does. Grace desires proximity because proximity brings understanding. Maybe that's why he also said, I want you to open up your homes without complaining. Now notice, he knows this is going to be hard. That's why he told us not to complain about it. But there is nothing that changes our mind about the other than actually being close to them, hearing their stories learning about their hopes and their dreams, and trying to understand what it is like to be them. Okay, I'm going to step on some toes right now. But we need right now, as the church of Jesus Christ, to get serious about our moment in this season and time in our nation to be what Jesus has called us to be. We need to show the world the, what it looks like for grace to get close. Nothing will cause you to frame your thoughts about immigration more than actually talking to some people who've immigrated to our country. Nothing will help you understand people of another race and what it's like to live in their skin than actually sitting down and saying, tell me, what's it like for you? Nothing will give you more empathy for someone that struggles with an addiction or is in bondage to a certain kind of sin than actually Asking them what it's like to deal with that every day. And by the way, nothing will change your views about law enforcement like actually getting to know some police officers. A number of years ago, I actually rode one night from midnight till 7 in the morning with two local police officers. They were in a part of our city that is basically bars and strip joints. On three different occasions, they got called and they had to step into situations of domestic violence, of people high on drugs, of a gang fight. And each time I watch these officers step in with great bravery and grace and diffuse what would have been a very bad situation. And I remember living thinking, leaving thinking, wow, I had no idea what their job is really like. And it gave me much more empathy for them. This is what we do for each other. This is one reason why I am so passionate about the multi-ethnic church. See, God's dream is not just a cessation of hostility. God's dream is the creation of a multicolored family. 
surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Starting with Abraham all the way through Jesus to the revelation, God has made it clear, this is what I want. Who else could model the future better than a bunch of pilgrims who are filled with the Spirit of grace? But let me tell you, this kind of modeling is going to require more than just pictures and posts. So the last thing Peter says is, be useful. He says, each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. I want you to stay prayerful and graceful. But I want you to be useful. Every alien is a minister. Every pilgrim is a priest. And what we should be doing as we wait for the next world should bless people in this world in real tangible ways. We don't know when Jesus is returning, but here's the thing. My faithfulness to the mission of Jesus should not depend on knowing when he's going to come back, but in knowing what matters to him most until he does. And Jesus said, I want to come back. I want to know, did you feed the hungry? Did you visit the prisoner? Were you there for the people that were hurting? Did you love God by loving your neighbor? You see, Jesus isn't going to care how woke you were on social media. What he's going to care about is how well you served the people that God put in your path. I had a real honor last December. I got to go to a conference and hear one of my heroes. I have admired since I was a young, young minister. His name is John Perkins. John Perkins, in 1970 in Mississippi, was beat almost to death in a civil rights march. This Jesus-loving preacher, this grace-filled man, has never been bitter. He's just kept calling the church to her best self. And now he's very old. And we got to pray over this great man. And someone asked him, he said, what's it like now to be so respected? And he said, you know, in 1970, I was almost killed. And now when I go to Mississippi, everywhere I go, I'm honored. And everywhere I go, people give me standing ovations. But he said, you know, I don't put too much stock in my fame. It never built a house for one single poor person. I think when Jesus comes back, he's going to want to know, you were useful. You actually helped somebody. And I see a lot of that in our church. I see people in our church that give up their own vacations every summer to go and be counselors at camp for kids who've never been to camp before. I see people in our church who walk alongside women who want to leave the sex industry, who walk alongside young mothers who are trying to decide if they want to keep their baby. I see people in our church showing up in local schools uh, in Academy 4 as mentors to fourth graders. I see people in our church showing up at the Center of Hope in West Fort Worth or at the CEC making sure that the hungry people get fed and that people have places where they can sleep and be safe. 
I was at our North Richland Hills campus uh, this last week, and I heard a lot of laughter down below, and I looked and I saw this. Uh, these are ladies in our church preparing summer boxes for our children, and they are having such a good time, and I went down to say thank you, and here's what I saw. I saw white skin. I saw brown skin. I saw black skin. What I saw most of all was one cause. Let's bless over a thousand children at the Hills Church. And every child is going to get personally delivered this box that's going to help them study Jesus this summer. That's what I mean. Be useful. Look again at 1 Peter 4. Anyone who serves should serve with the strength God gives so that in everything God will be praised through Jesus Christ. Remember what he said back in chapter 2? Live such good lives. They see the good things you're doing. They praise God. This is what Peter wants. This is how nomads and foreigners and pilgrims live while we wait for the world to come. We live such good lives right now that God gets glory. That living in the future tense praises God right now. And I saw another example of that last week. So I mentioned that last Sunday I went to, with others from our church to this march in Keller. This march was planned by two young teenage boys who were African-American. And they're also strong believers in Jesus. And one reason I know that is because they asked the first speaker to be the, the white man who was their youth leader in young life. And he gave a bold proclamation of the gospel. I'm not sure all the crowd was expecting that, but let me tell you something. Jesus Christ was lifted up. And then one of the mothers of these boys spoke up. And she talked about how a year and a half ago at Halloween time, her son is out in Keller, and he gets stopped by a police officer from a different city who pulled a gun on the young man. Some Keller policemen showed up. They were furious. They dressed down that officer. They spoke to that young boy. And one of these officers, for the next year and a half, called that young teenage boy every single day to check on him. And when that young man helped plan that march, he called that officer and said, Would you walk next to me? And they walked together. And my city got a beautiful glimpse of what home is going to look like. You see, when the days are the darkest, the church has the opportunity to shine the brightest. Here's what I'm saying. We must model home away from home. And this is especially true when it comes to ethnic harmony. Here's the thing, church. God is going to have what He wants. He announced it all the way back in Genesis 12 with Abraham. And God is going to get what He wants. A world full of people of different ethnicities and tongues and colors all surrendered to Christ and bringing Him glory. God is going to get what He wants. And I can't wait! And so I'm not going to. Why should I have to wait? Why can't I start living right now embodying what God wants? Why can't we right now show the world home away from home?
Let's be the church today that shows the world what tomorrow is going to look like. Now, it's going to be hard. And at times, it's going to be exhausting. But it's going to be so worth it when we hear Jesus say, well done. And so I want to close with one more story and show you one more picture. This young woman's name is Kayla Montgomery. Kayla loved to run, and she was good. She was fast, at one point ranked 21st in the country. And then at the age of 14, Kayla was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And she still ran. But when she would run, the body heat would cause the disease to activate, and her waist below would go numb. And she would run. But she no longer had control of her legs. She couldn't stop. And yet, this young woman kept running all the way through college. She attended a school in Nashville called Lipscomb University and was an outstanding collegiate runner because at every race, her coach would be there to catch her. They had an understanding. You run all the way to the finish, and I'll be there to catch you. And she always finished, and he always kept his promise. Let me tell you something. Home is coming. And Jesus will catch us. And we will finally have our place. And so run well. And finish strong. And so, Lord Jesus, we lift up your name. We await your return. Help us to wait well, not passively, but actively, with bold prayers, with courageous love, and with selfless service. May we show the world where our true citizenship lies. May we show the world what someday the whole world will be. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.